The following is a presentation of the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. From the birthplace of modern winemaking, Sonoma, California, welcome to the winemakers. Local experts Sam Katuri, Bart Hansen, and Brian Casey, along with host John Myers, invite you to listen in as they discuss all facets of winemaking. So sit back, pour yourself a glass, and let's hear what the guys have to say this week. Wow. That was that was a fire fire fuego that was a fuego (laughs) pour yeah hell yeah it was (laughs) on a beautiful beautiful sonoma morning once again man how lucky are we are in in between rainstorms basically (laughs) how you doing john katuri I'm I'm just fine. I am indeed uh, welcoming you, you to the winemakers. I'm John Myers with Brian Casey. Brian I got Myers. That, I got that one right today. <laughs> Sam Katuri and our, our special guest. Jack today, Edwards, not that Jack Edwards. Jack Sporer <laughs> from, let's see, your proprietor, partner, owner, and everything from sweeper and barrel washer to the top of the heap fresh wines llc in sonoma custom crush and also that would be your your wine label you know fresco fresco is the brand yeah so welcome magnolia is the place magnolia is the place thank you very much that's perfect it's a long title though it is Um, you managed to get it on your car jack be nimble (laughs) jack maker of fresco (laughs) runner of magnolia hey man thanks for coming it's much to be here, guys. Genetic really line fun. of the Buckland family. Yeah. For better or for worse. For better or for worse. Really? These are yeah. Will, favorite Will's show. This is Will Buckland's nephew. Excellent. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Will. Wow. What a fountain of knowledge that guy is. Yeah. That was the three hour show that could have been a six hour show. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> it was. That was. He's one of the. You know, he's. He's. Uh, he doesn't say much until he does, and then he doesn't stop. Thank God. Oh, that's a very positive yeah. thing, Sam. What can you say? Is that a, is that a fair assessment of, exactly, of Uncle Will? Going, then he's going. <laughs> he's going. Uh, and if not, it's all one-syllable, often guttural responses. <laughs> uh, Brian, this looks like a lineup that you're going to be very, this is, very These are my favorite with. shows, not just because the lineup um, is primarily white and it's got some funky color going on and some cool stuff but because i love the shows where we have people on that are total they're badasses in the industry but they don't have these brands that everyone knows that are in safeway or even um necessarily known like it's almost like it's like insider wine it's people who are in the wine industry know this wine um and we'd love to drink it but i i like that we get to introduce it to a wider audience because i i Absolutely love these wines. Thank you. All right, Jack. Well, Thank thanks you. for coming. It's been good. Good you could be here. So the wine we got in our glass right now is the <laughs> keep us on track. Thank you. Right in there. 2022 See, Fire Fuego. This is the fresh. This is the yeah. This is the fresh Fuego. Exactly. Fuego fresco. Freshco. Uh, yeah, arguably too fresh. Um, so. I Tell think, us about this. Yeah, so this comes from a vineyard um, just down the road from where we're recording on Denmark Street. Um, the vineyard is uh, farmed by uh, one of y'all's employees, right. um, Eric Klaus, and his wife, Holly. Um, they are sixth generation on the land, uh, but they wanted to convert the vineyard block to organic. So... Um, with me, uh, with me being able to, you know, commit to buying the fruit, uh, and them having the knowledge that they, um, 
Uh, they have, they do all the pruning, all the tractor work, do some um, no-till, uh, very light spraying, and then um, obviously no Roundup or any of the other, other stuff that we don't like. So um, I take that ethos into the winery, uh, make the wine. Uh, in this case, uh, zero zero wine. That means no sulfur or other additions or removals. So let's let, first of all, for those of you listening at home who came to one of our two Vinyl Sunday parties last year. Uh, at the barn on Denmark Street. That's the vineyard that Jack is talking about. Mm -hmm. uh, but let's let's zoom out a second. Just tell us about Freshco, Fresh Wine Company, um, how you came to that. I mean, you you know, obviously you, you grew up Buckland, for better or for worse, as we've discussed. Um, but, you know, so spending time at Old Hill, mm -hmm. um, how did you, but was wine, you know, were you like as a kid going, I'm going to make wine and oh run, God, no. uh, right? So uh, I think Will started the label in 2000, 2001. So the years after that, um, I was bottling as a, as a 12 and 13 year old. Right. This uh, industry runs on child labor. And, <laughs> For those um, of you keeping score at oh, I hated it. Bottling, yeah. I still don't really like it very much. <laughs> but uh, And Bart's about to do it. Right, yeah. Bart's doing it right yeah. now. Smart. And he's on special assignment today, um, by the way. Well, it's got to be done, and it's got to be done right. Um, and I, you know, had this experience where I don't like it. Um, didn't ever think about doing wine uh, as a kid, as a teenager. Went away to college, studied biology. Uh, graduated, worked in the field, um, and I just I didn't think academia was going to be for me. It was not. Did you go to in the field Davis? of biology, not in yeah. the field of vineyard? Yeah, exactly. Okay. Uh, counting uh, seedlings and trapping rodents and giving them ear tags. I like living out uh, <laughs> living out there, but it was not. Wait, yeah. where were you doing this? Oh, um, the Blackfoot Valley of Montana. Oh. Uh, that was just a summer job outside of, out of school. Where was uh, your uh, schooling? David? Providence College. Oh, um, in Rhode Island. Go Excellent. Friars. Go Friars. Um, <laughs> so I, could then, go, I could go for something fried with this one. Yeah, totally. <laughs> this idea. Uh, oh, like so, a good old-fashioned like New England clam bake or something. How, how the hell did you get out there from here? And uh, I wanted to get as far away uh, as possible. <laughs> he's a Buckland. He wanted to leave. <laughs> he was smart. He's a Buckland without the last name, so he's like, get out of here. Exactly. Um, <laughs> I wanted to see something different. Uh, and, you know, I mentioned earlier I wasn't a great student, so I didn't get into all the schools I applied to. Um, but I did get into Providence College, and that was a good school. For some reason, they uh, took a flyer on me, and uh, I had a great time out there. Um, but, you know, I'm, I like the mild winters and the uh, chill <laughs> yeah. California Bay Area attitudes. Um, so that was, you know, it was a great experiment and um, made me really appreciate home. So by the time I got home... I fell into a harvest gig at um, the winery that is now Magnolia. So 2012 was my first harvest, working with my Uncle Will. Uh, Bedrock was actually crushing there. Um, it was a really good In 2012, Bedrock, it was Inkadu. Yeah. Will was made, Buckland had always, has always been made there, basically. Yeah. But that was before Bedrock's new facility, so they were part of that yeah, as well? Or sort of exactly. Like, they were custom crushing. And uh, they were actually, they had the lease on the space next door, so we actually had a ton of uh, macrobins. We wheeled them across the parking lot, and I was doing punchdowns there before there were any tanks. Right, right. Um, I didn't know anything about anything, but How I did, did like the punchdowns without a tank? Um, they have uh, macrobins. Okay. Yeah. You do it with a big paddle and yeah. a lot of... Sweat and elbow grease. Uh, yep. Um, being a tall man, I can uh, do punch downs without uh, without any uh, 
yeah, ladders or anything. So it's my one, my main innate talent right. uh, is being tall. And uh, <laughs> put it to good use there. Um, and I got finished that harvest and I, and I liked the work, but mainly I wanted to travel. And people were saying, you can go to Australia and do harvest there. Uh, and they'll pay you. And um, so I got my work and holiday har uh, visa, went down there, down under, did a harvest, um, followed that up with a harvest in Bordeaux. Wow. Where? Yeah. Uh, Chateau Pavimacan. Nice. I was uh, very fortunate to get that job. I showed up. Um, what area of uh, it's Bordeaux? It's Saint Okay. Yeah. Uh, and I showed know. up uh, to Chateau Pavie. Turns out it's not the same winery. <laughs> okay. That's, so that's a, an important distinction because I was impressed. <laughs> Jack who? Yeah. Uh -huh. They probably sent me on my way to the Pavimacan. And um, actually, the guy who's, who hired me was uh, managing labor at several different chateaus. So I got to work at a few, but Macan's the most notable and it was the most uh, where I learned the most. So that's um, a very cool area, isn't it? Oh my God. I mean, the wines are excellent. Um, and every little spot has vines on it. Yeah. Everybody's front yard, every backyard. It's, it's amazing. Um, yeah. I didn't know I liked Merlot. <laughs> right. Um, right. You better like Merlot. I know. Well, I got some in barrel this year, so let's uh, let's hope I still like it uh, when exactly. I'm bottling it. Wait, where is it from? Just kidding. Bedrock Vineyard. Which, uh, okay, cool. Yeah. Right. I'm stuck down there in organic. Ding. <laughs> nice. Um, they're I'm, awesome. Love working with them. Yeah, I'm totally grooving on um, Once in Future Merlot. Oh um, hell yeah, um, Morgan's dad. Uh, is that from the same? Is that, he's getting that he, from the Bedrock Vineyard. He's or is from he, it's in he, Carneros. It's listed as Carneros on okay. the bottle. I don't know exactly where the vineyard is, but um, Joel is amazing. Yeah, he's a hero. Yeah, just likes to make wine because he doesn't have to. You know, when yeah. we were out here as tourists. Uh, you know, we we were buying wine at like Rite Aid when we'd stop in. And what's there? <laughs> Ravenswood. Yep. Bingo. Okay, grab a few of those. Yeah. I'm glad that you don't buy wine at Rite Aid anymore. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> Only for one show that we did. <laughs> Only one show we bought wine at yeah. Rite Aid. Yeah. Those got ice cream too. So yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> they pretty much have everything, they actually. Have everything. Yeah, you need a razor and then pick up your meds. Right. And, uh, and they got a pretty decent selection pack of, of balloons for your daughter's actually. birthday. Oh, really? Yeah. We'll have to. They're yeah. better I mean, than. We should email the wine bar. Yeah, seriously. Get some Fire Fuego <laughs> up in Rite Aid. I know you can get Apothic Red there. Oh, thank God. <laughs> Shout out to Brene. <laughs> okay, so you're in Bordeaux. You learn how to the Bordeaux ways. Yeah, it was uh, 2013. It was like a historically bad and wet vintage. So, um, you know, it was. Uh, but the the good this was good, 2015. 2013, 2013. Yeah, the good houses made good wine, but a lot of the sort of bigger houses had had a hard time. Uh, it was cold, wet. Um, they had snails uh, coming in. It was it was tough. Um, but Eat the snails. What about that? Eat the snail. Yeah, I know. I mean, that's a good idea. <laughs> the French have had that idea before. Um, and you're speaking French at this point? Je parle vous un petit peu. That's about all I know. And that was kind of an issue. Um, but, you know, I, I, I got through it. A lot of pointing and grunting. Yeah. Um, yeah. Un, deux, trois, you know, that kind of stuff. You, you uh, can get along knowing wine. Where's the water closet? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> How to order a beer. Yeah. Most importantly. <laughs> Um, I came back, uh, and that, when I came back, I'd been, I'd done three harvests back to back to back. 
So I was, you know, my wrists were falling off and my body was uh, needed a break. So I took a job uh, at a wine shop, a San Francisco wine trading company in San Francisco, an OG old school San Francisco. Yeah. uh, In the sunset where I grew up. And um, that was where I fell in love with wine, tasted, Mm. um, you know, five to 10 wines a day, a bunch of different reps, um, stocking, uh, selling wine. It was, it was great. Um, And I learned a lot. Those guys taught me. A whole bunch and and i and and they were selling natural wine which i didn't know about right. from, for like five more years you know <laughs> um not not exclusively or even major right. majority of the wine but there's wines that i like recognize as hallmarks of benchmarks of natural wine producers now that they had on the shelf european or california right. well, european right. mostly yeah. yeah um paulo bea um Oki pinti was there <laughs> keep them rolling um, Shout out James Joyner You're going to go buy yeah, a bottle of Palo Bay Just because you heard it on the <laughs> show Smart man Hopefully everybody does that Sam Well you, you know not everybody Should probably go out and buy Palo Bay all at once No but I mean Certainly anybody we have For on. our prices because we want to buy more And you know it's a You got to know what you're getting into When you buy a bottle of Palo Bay for what you're paying And yeah what you, you know Yeah it's serious. It's big dough. Yeah, you know, big money for that. So Oki Pinti. How do you say it? I never say it right. Oki Pinti. Oki Pinti. Those wines are more approachable price wise, and are like Brian Darlings. Are they uh, right? Like yeah. hot, they're probably not a right aid, <laughs> but you you'd know the label if you saw it. It's yeah. on like every cool guy's Instagram. Yeah. Um, Oki Pinti. And there's Sicilian. Uh, those like really like minerally high acid whites that are just like super delicious and quenching. Mm-hmm. Um, My first wine crush. <laughs> yeah well also a beautiful winemaker um <laughs> so uh move, you know you're talking about the wine or the winemaker the uh, the, the winemaker but um you know you'll you'll learn you'll live and learn yeah uh they didn't speak italian yeah so I know. that was that was the main thing i didn't learn <laughs> i moved uh after a year um at the wine shop you know retail during christmas just killed me um and so i wanted to get back into production and so um flew to new zealand um did a bike tour there biked from christchurch up through blenheim to wellington and in the way uh, on the way i got a job uh for harvest uh in marlborough uh worked at alan scott uh experienced what we call the savalanche sauvignon blanc avalanche um, <laughs> i've never heard that term before yeah i was everywhere then and um <laughs> That was a uh, that was you know cool. That's big winemaking, and even the winery I was at was relatively small for the area. But um, they do it on a scale that um, I have never done before or since. You're talking about big like semi trucks coming yeah, in. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Machine harvested. Yeah, yeah, big hoppers full of grapes. Yeah. Um, but it's fun, you know. I mean, New Zealand's awesome country. Yeah. Would recommend it to anyone. Um, Went from New Zealand, uh, got a job at Chapelet in in Napa, uh, and worked there uh, for two years. Uh, the, that was like wine uh, winery boot camp. You know, they yeah. are very regimented and very good at what they do, and they uh, they teach you well. So anyone who's looking to figure out how to be a winemaker, I would start there. Hmm. Um, they're awesome. Um, they sure have a good reputation. Yeah, yeah, yeah the, they do. Wines are great. Legacies for sure. Yeah. Um, so, uh, learned a lot from Phil and Rye and, and the Chapelets there. I got to meet, um, Don Chapelet before he passed, right. um, which was, uh, you know, that's one of those legends you yeah. get to, 
get to interact with in, in this industry. It's really cool. Speaking of which, this is coming out a week later, but uh, not to down or, or interrupt you on this, sorry, Jack, but uh, Angelo San Giacomo just passed away. I saw I that this that. morning. 92 yeah. years old. There's a there's a great video series on the Sonoma Valley Vintners um website legends the the icons are legends yeah, yeah. and and it's a basically a conversation between angelo san giacomo and jim bunchu and wow. they're talking about i mean you know if you want to like know how sonoma went from being you know just fruits and nuts and i, I mean that literally not figuratively yeah, yeah pear trees um, pear trees yeah. and and prunes and walnuts and such to grapes angelo san giacomo was mm-hmm. right in the middle of that the san giacomo lands were converted you know in the 70s and you can hear steve if you go back through our yeah, exactly. library and he's, and he's and been on the podcast san giacomo, so yeah uh, but shout out that's like the reason that sonoma is sonoma angelo was right in the middle of it so yeah, cool. uh, love and and uh and prayers and thoughts to the San Giacomo family right now. Yeah. Well, when I was at Chapelet, they were buying San Giacomo fruit and I got to um, go to the, one of the uh, vintage tastings, taste all the Chardonnays that everyone had made and got to meet the San Giacomo's. They were super sweet. Yeah. Cool. I had on the wrong name tag and they were like, I remember um, one of the sons, I think Steve maybe was just super kind to me and like helped me out. And I was like such a, you know, green, baby in the industry didn't know right. anything and they were just whose name tag were you wearing phil titus's <laughs> <laughs> did he know uh he could tell that it wasn't i wasn't the right guy yeah <laughs> well wasn't was it when we did a tasting at paradigm ren 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 harris was mentioning was it we were talking about next this, week's thought, podcast guest ren yeah, harris. yeah that um weren't they doing chenin blanc at chapelet oh yeah long time they yeah. have been that's their that's their house white yeah, uh, Molly loves it. Um, I think Bart does. Shannon does. Oh, yeah, yeah, I've heard. <laughs> We've heard. <laughs> He's filtering Shannon Blanc as we speak. Actually, yeah. Right now, it's I don't filters. know why. Why filter Shannon Blanc? Yeah. He's actually, I don't know if he's filtering the Shannon Blanc. I don't know he he talked about two rosés, a Sonoma Valley Zinfandel. He wanted me to shout them all out, and he didn't text me, so I'm not remembering. Oh, uh, maybe a petite Syrah rosé and a Grenache rosé. Oh, cool. I don't know. That's why Bart's not here. Dane Sellers. Yeah, Dane Sellers. Dane Sellers. Okay. He's up Sunday, to like 20,000 cases or something. <laughs> all hand bottled. <laughs> totally. <laughs> so two harvests at Chapelet, uh, then I got the itch to, to move again, and so uh, flew down to Chile. Um, and worked, uh, woofed at a vineyard there, and then through that got a job. Woof, um, woof, woof. For those, yeah. if you'd, uh, willing workers on organic farms is woofing. that's correct, yeah. And it's basically like you f- travel to an organic farm, they put you up, and you work m- maybe paid, maybe not feed you yeah. room and board kind of situation. Yeah, there was no pay here, but yeah. um, I was usually you know, it's not. Yeah, it was, yeah. but you know, I mean, for the experience of being able to work in a vineyard in Chile in the Alta Colchago, it was it was cool. and it was organic. Uh, I, I mean, it has it to, if you're a woofing, it's organic. Yeah, farms, exactly. Right? How do they different organic practices than from us? I think each country has its own certifying body, or in some cases, there's multiple certifying bodies. Uh, in general, the principles are the same. I think you can't have synthetic, uh, any synthetic uh, pesticides is the main thing. And then they also, things like you can't have treated wood on the uh, as the vineyard end posts and... Um, you know, I'm not super familiar, um, but yeah. I think it's the same idea, but maybe like the nitty gritty, uh, it could be different depending on who's actually doing the certifying. And you were woofing during harvest down there? Or you so like I went in down vineyard? in um, January, which is okay. their, you know, height of their summer. Right. Um, and I didn't have a 
job in mind, a place to work in mind yet. So um, I wanted to sort of feel it out. So I went down there, um, but landed with a place to go, which yep. is that vineyard and did that for a couple of weeks. And then the guy that was making the wine, who's consulting on the vineyard project was actually um, UC Davis grad who knew my uncle, um, this name, guy named Ed Flaherty, who had his own project. So I worked uh, for him for Harvest. Like so. an actual, like a salary job. Yeah, exactly right. That was my first sort of enologist uh, gig. Um, and that was an excellent you know, experience. I have to say Chilean Spanish is, is definitely sort of the most diverged from sort of like what they might teach you at school. So huh. it was like right into the fire for me, especially in, in the, in the field uh, up in the mountains, people are dropping S's and, and like the, the accent is just, is <laughs> tough and the, and the yeah. slang is, is uh, plentiful. Um, <laughs> so, you know, I learned a lot. Uh, I had to pick it up quick, you right. know? but now I can still speak Spanish, which was kind of the, one of the other points about going there versus other countries. Right. Cool. Um, from Chile, I came back and worked at, Bedrock. That's when you worked at Bedrock. Yeah, okay. so, so seventeen worked at Bedrock, and um, many of them with our esteemed friend of the podcast, Isabel Gassier. Isabel Gassier. Wow. Yeah, that was a good time. Um, and then that was also the year of the fires, right. uh, which were so awful. Um, but I and then I so I got out of that um, harvest, um, and I just needed to clear my headspace a little bit and sort of take a break and reorient. Uh, and so I went uh, to the Santa Rosa Junior College um, and ended up getting my associates in viticulture there um, over the next uh, year and a half, two years, which I would recommend to anyone. The bang per, uh, bang for your buck there is super high. Classes are cheap. You're... Yeah, the Oxford of Community College. Exactly. It is. And, and they have this whole farm campus called Schoen Farm out in West County, working vineyard, working market garden, um, took some animal husbandry classes as well. Um, Oh, it was a cool. great time. Met yeah. a lot of my um, really close friends there, including uh, my fiance. Shout out. Sasuke Chingi. Yeah, there you go. They can't say her last name. I barely say her first name. Uh, yeah, I, but... I think I got it right, but I usually miss You usually get it, it wrong. So... <laughs> Hopefully she won't listen. <laughs> I think she might. I've, uh, heard, I've heard that from multiple people about, you know, if there's most people are like at um, Fresno or Davis, but if you live around here locally and just want to get in, get a feel for see if it's right for you that the center was a junior college totally. supposed to be great for so, and you know also napa does doesn't do a bad job either the napa yeah the napa valley college yeah viticulture and enology program is and you know the thing about it isn't and i'm sure that you saw this the people who are your instructors are people in the industry or people who've been in the industry mm-hmm. so if you want you know you go there and if you don't have a connection you're going to get a connection to somebody, oh, you know, exactly. somewhere to work. Exactly. Which is kind of the point of going to college, I think, anyway. Right. It's only to build connections so that you can build connections pay your, to pay your mortgage to beer bottles. Moving forward. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Will you hang on for a second and just tell us about this wine? Because we just, I, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to lie, out of, the gla- out of the bottle, right, I was like, all right, this is a little natty and skin contact. Yeah. Um, and then the next thing I knew, I looked down and my glass was empty. Yeah. So... It's fire fuego. It is fire. Yeah. That's the idea. Um, so, uh, like I said, Sauvignon Blanc, just from very close to the winery. Um, the way I make this orange wine is I put the clusters into the tank. Um, so like a whole cluster ferment. But then I also take a separate portion and I um, press that. And I take the juice and pump it over the top. 
so basically you're filling up the, the holes in between the clusters. How much skin contact? Uh, I think this is about six days. Uh, and, and, and so, wait, wait, so let, let's, let me, so you take the whole clusters gently. So you're not putting them into a tank. Yeah. You're pressing off the juice and until you sort of displace all the air in the tank. with right, juice. Right, yeah. So there's, there's a tank full of, um, whole clusters right. and then another portion of that same wine is direct pressed and the juice is pumped over the whole clusters. Um, Basically, one you know, the reason I sort of uh, came up with the idea. Um, first of all, the Cabronic White—that's uh, Isabel Garcia's idea. Um, shout out, shout out. She Issa. definitely won't be listening. Um, <laughs> second of all, um, there's this problem with um, wine, natural wine, that is kind of a solved solved problem for most other uh, wines that use sulfur. Is this uh, mouse taint? Is this sort of this flavor you get? Mousiness. Yeah, uh, yeah and it. In my experience, and from what I've read, comes from exposure to oxygen. And so what I was really trying to do is make a stable uh, zero, zero wine. I didn't want to use sulfur on this cuvee if I could avoid it. And so I um, was reasoning that maybe if you just uh, do not, you know, if you fill up the cracks, then there's less air contact. And so yeah. that, um, and also trying to mo get the right amount of extraction, like a really light extraction. Right. This isn't one of those like super tannic orange wines that right. like, dries your mouth out. And, right. Yeah. And the color is, you know, similar to a white. I mean, it's right. a little darker, but not much. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, that, that's that's the protocol. I, you know, I did it uh, one right. year. Because it, just to, like the typically the color in an orange wine isn't necessarily from the skin contact. It's the oxidation. Right. A little bit of both. A little yeah. bit of both. Yeah. Um, and so yeah, I just wanted to make it a, a tough uh, a wine that could withstand being open, right. so, serve it by the glass. Um, you know, it'll still taste good tomorrow. Was the idea? And it travels. I mean, yeah, I've seen it on the shelves of cool wine shops in in New York and Brooklyn and stuff. Yep. Yeah, we're yeah. we're in New York now and, and also L.A. But yep. when how did did you have skin contact whites and then decide that that was something you wanted to do, or you just? Yeah, I mean, you know, somewhere in the history of. Um, of my wine travels, I, you know, really relatively late is when I discovered natural wine. You know, I, I guess I think I'd always leaned organic. I'd always leaned lower uh, intervention, you know, native yeast, but I didn't really even know the term natural wine until like 2018, I mm. think. So is that the first year, 2018 was the first year of Fresh Wine Co? 19. 19. Um, mm. Yeah. So 19, I uh, was production manager at Enkidu, uh, which became Magnolia um, shortly thereafter. And, um, I was, and I, I guess, uh, because I, I had wanted to start a natural wine brand, um, but I didn't know much about it. My uncle recommended going up to your, uh, your uncle's spot. So I helped, um, with Nick Katuri and Dan Marioni, David Rothschild just helped bottle a bit. And then, um, sort of was exposed to the, the movement there, um, quite a bit and, and orange wine, uh, was a category that was kind of new to me and really exciting. Um, because I think it's, I mean, it's, it's totally, it's equal. It should be there, you know, there should be red, rosé, white, orange, you know, like I think there, there should be more orange wine out there, whether you're making it naturally or not. I think it's a really wonderful way to express a variety. Right. Well, and do you, I mean, there's the flavor, even on a white grape, the flavors in the skin still, I mean, you, mm -hmm. you go out into, you know, walk that vineyard on Denmark Street with Eric and Holly. Yeah. And you know, you bite the berry and you get the sweetness and the juice, but when you really like dig in the the, 
you know, and kind of like macerate the skin under your teeth. That's where like all the really interesting flavors are. Mm-hmm. So then from that standpoint, like having some skin contact in your white, even if it's white wine, um, right. you know, or destined to be white wine, have it. That's where the flavor is. Right. And is for for doing a skin contact white, do you think it's better to use varietals that have like um, inherently higher acidity in them? Yeah, it depends how you want to do it. I do think acidity is super crucial for natural winemaking, and stems are kind of antithetical to that because the um, they'll raise the pH. Um, right. So, so um, some people do. I mean, what I experienced and what I kind of wanted to do differently is a lot of the nouveau a wave of California winemakers do sort of um, destemmed uh, white fruit. Um, so you get like mm. more extraction, which um, I just find there's like two weeks of that. Um, it doesn't just do it. just doesn't do it for me. I don't know. It's not uh, the wines can be a little bit more, uh, a little unbalanced right. in my opinion. And so, you know, there's like the little, like astringent. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Right. And, and I, I think, you know, for varieties like Sauvignon Blanc, um, which is kind of, linear anyway i think the uh i think the carbonic really helps too you know to sort of mm-hmm. bring out the fruit notes and while we're on the topic of giving credit to isabel gassier for things talk about the name a little bit fire fuego um well that um was uh there's a, a box uh holding it with a fire hose at my family farm and it just is sort of in the same uh, color scheme as, as my labels. It's uh, red on white, um, and it says Fire Fuego. It's just got the fire hose in it. Right. So I was just looking at that someday. One day, and I was like, you know what? That's kind of a cool name. So I uh, thought it was Isabel's idea. No, she no, just no. claims that. She claims that. She <laughs> the, the, the wine the wine style is her. Oh, so, uh, so yeah, like yeah. It. All right. Sorry, as well, you don't get credit on that. Yeah, one. no. Well, I know I, exactly the box you're talking about. Yeah, exactly. one, I smell like almost like jalapeno. Yeah, it does have the green the chili nose. thing. I mean, yeah. that's pyrazines right there, you know? Totally. It's Sauvignon uh, Blanc, it's right? Sauvignon Blanc. Blanc. That's yeah. the Fuego part. Yeah, exactly. Um, no, I, th- I think it's delicious, Jay. Good. Totally. Yeah. I'm happy with this one, too. Um, and this my... is 22. This yeah, is the 22. Exactly okay. right. So real fresh. A bottle. Yeah. Um, so a bottle that young. I mean, you know, the other thing about natural winemaking is just trying to manage risk, right? So the longer you're in barrel, the more oxidation you're going to get, the more... Uh, issues you have with you know um, spoilage organisms so uh, especially with the zero zero wines try and bottle them really quick uh, and that to me is usually uh, late January so I'll um, uh, ferment dry uh, in tank uh, barrel it down to neutral f- uh, French oak and then uh, do a little bit of lease stirring till I feel like it's got the mid palate that I want and then um, um, bottle it real quick yeah. as soon as I can when you want these wines to kind of have what, the, what a lot of people, I guess, use this term tension, mm-hmm. like like you want them to be kind of fresh and exactly. lively, right? Exactly right. Yeah. Tension is key. Yeah. Oh, so one of the questions that Bart had for me was the difference between, I guess you call it the Fumé Blanc and mm-hmm. the Fire Fuego, because they're coming from the same vineyard, right? Right. So what, and now I, um, I'm, my assumption is that the Fumé Blanc is the juice that you don't pump over onto the carbonic yep. part. You're just fermenting that more in a conven- more conventional. That's correct. So, yeah. um, so uh, in this case, I picked it later. Um, oh, you did? Okay. Yeah, a separate pick. Um, the another difference would be that there's um, 
a few rows at the end of the block that are um, Savia Musque clone. Um, and then one row that is um, Viognier. Okay. I'm pretty sure. Uh, another white. Sorry. Um, <laughs> yeah, we were just okay. talking about that before the show. Yeah. I'll uh, I'll get it one of these days, guys. Yeah, it's all good. Um, this is but, better than when we had you on via Zoom, anyway. Oh, good. With that terrible internet oh connection my God, that you have at yeah. Magnolia Wine oh Services. Yeah, uh, that was. It's a very local label, man. Sonoma Valley Skin Contact Zero Zero. Yeah. Denmark Street Vineyards. So you know the Sonoma the county. And and shout out to Eric and Holly on the back label too. That's cool. Yeah, yeah. I did that all my labels because um, they're really doing most of the hard work. Yep. And the heavy lifting. Um. So maybe we'll try the, try the uh, too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So sorry to fuck up. Your that's order. okay. Don't worry about it. I was gonna change it anyway. The uh, Fumé Blanc also is barrel fermented. Um, so if you guys, you guys probably know the term Fumé Blanc. A lot of natural wine buyers Mandavi? might not. Yeah. Yeah. So on the back it says dry Sauvignon Blanc, um, because when Mandavi sort of started the term, his goal was to. Uh, delineate between a lot of the sweet Sauvignon Blancs that were uh, common in the 80s and the dry and sort of more um, barrel-influenced one that he wanted to make. Um, so I actually buy a new barrel for this wine. Um, uh, shout out the Boswell Company and Eric Miard who uh, hand makes these barrels, um, and I'm a big fan of that Cooper. Um, so French, that's, those are yeah, French names, right? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, New French oak is kind of not super uh, common in natural wine, and you know, the price point or is or really even important. in Sauvignon Blanc, yeah, right? Exactly. Um, well, some of the great Sauvignon Blancs of the world, though, are using well, like Bordeaux, or, but like here, I don't. Then you know, Didier, da you know, the the, the Dagano style, style yeah. Is, yeah. is like extended barrel age with some new barrels. Um, so definitely, there's there's classical precedent for that. Uh, but not in the you know as you keep reading about Sauvignon Blanc because like right now is like the hottest thing varietal yeah. wise in California people just like can't keep enough Sauvignon huh. Blanc and definitely most of those are never seen any wood probably they're just mm. uh, yeah. you know stainless to stainless to bottle to market right so um, I wanted to do a barrel wine so I bought a new barrel I also got um, some barrels from uh, Mike Thomas Winery, which if you know about their barrel program, they hold on to barrels for about 20 years before they kick them out. <laughs> so I literally have a 1999 and an 01 um, from them that um, I think do really interesting things to the wine uh, for the Elevage. And they used them for white wine? Or yeah, for, exactly. Okay. Yeah, neutral white barrels, yeah. okay. but like uber neutral, um, beyond neutral. Right. Uh, Just a vessel that has a little bit of breathe. Uh, breath to yeah, it. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Very porous. Yeah. This is fantastic, Jack. Yeah, I'm, I'm stoked on the way this one's evolving. I think this is the one I tried at the cheese party. Yeah, that would have been it. Oh, yeah. Fucking great. Yeah. Yeah. With with all those cheeses. Because of that, like, yeah. the complexity, the, like, there's some structure, and then just, like, racing finish. Brian, you just said one of the words you're not supposed to say on radio. I was doing a show yesterday. A little old lady talking about... Uh, 
Ukraine. And this is and, oh, like on KSVY? Yeah. She dropped an F-bomb on KSVY? She sure as hell did, man. fucking rad. Hell yeah. <laughs> I'm into that. Yeah. We're on a podcast. We can say whatever we want. But KSVY is uh, no, no. Your, our beloved local public access Com- radio Community station. radio, man. <laughs> so okay. okay, so I'm noticing the alcohol a little bit higher. You said you left this out there a little bit longer. Yeah. And okay. Yeah, and, I, you know, it's... Uh, and we uh, the, we run the cellar a little dry, so it evaporates out. These sort of alcohol can raise even after um, right. even okay. after uh, things uh, are done fermenting. Um, so yeah, it crept up to fourteen uh, six. And I you know I think what most people would have done in this situation would would have just lied. Uh, would have been to just put a what? lower. Nobody alcohol. does that in the wine industry. What are you talking you about? You get a Jack? grace of a half a percent, and then people kind of take liberty. Yeah, half a percent but plus I'm, a half a percent. I don't know. I'm I'm pretty um, plus or minus. <laughs> I try to be pretty um, open about what is and isn't in the wine, and yeah. so and that's important to me. So putting fourteen six is, you know, might impact sales, but it's 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 a, you know, they just need to try it. It's honest. Well, yeah, and you know, right. I, I mean, I don't know all the methods that you used in this, but. You know, if you one of the lessons of natural wine that I get from Uncle Tony, um, you know, everybody in natural wine is is very focused on acidity as the sort of preservative in place of salt, you know, excessive sulfur and and other products. But alcohol can have the same capabilities, right? Definitely, alcohol is gonna kill. You know, what did you call it? You had a great word for like the bad microbes, spoilage, spoilage microbes. Um, yeah, inhibits them for sure. You know, for sure. At, you know, at, at Katuri Winery, there was not a lot of like low alcohol winemaking, maybe more now, but um, yeah, combine no. those two because this is obviously not lacking in acidity, right? Mm. Um, combine that with a little bit of ABV, you know, wine that can last a long freaking time. I think this one's gonna go yeah. another 10 years. Yeah, totally. I'm, I think. For a from age worthy white, this is kind of where I'm at. Yeah, and it's nice and a little bit oxidative and a little bit nutty. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I love it when it gets that like when Sauvignon, when Sauvignon Blanc gets old and starts to like taste like aged cheese. You get like that yeah. Parmesan thing, that nutty thing. Yeah, exactly. You know, that like Marcona almond action. I love that. That's this, like this would never last ten years at my house. <laughs> <laughs> You're gonna have to hide this from Brian so he can taste it in ten years. Yeah, ten years from now, let me see what it tastes like. But it's fucking delicious, Jack. Thanks, bud. So good. And so just, you know, backing up a little bit to the brand, the um, everything is from Sonoma Valley. Yep. Um, and everything is grown uh, regeneratively, um, which to me means organic is the minimum. So you're not just checking a list about what pesticides you did and didn't use, but you're actually farming for soil health. A lot of these uh, growers go to no-till, do dry farming. Um and um, in some cases, you know, don't do any vineyard sprays at all. So it's it's uh, I'm trying to, you know, push the envelope and and work with the growers, too, just so that they can afford to make these changes. Um, Eric's Vineyard, the Sauvignon Blanc, is probably the best test case for that because they were leasing that out uh, to uh, another vineyard, vineyard, manage, vineyard management company that does not, you know, prioritize soil health. Right. And, um, and they were probably selling the fruit pretty uh, low, low yeah exactly low cost exactly right yeah. so um you know i i want these vines to be here 30 years from now they're right. already 30 years old you know or 100 years from now whatever right. um and I, you don't really get that when you uh spray a bunch of herbicide so yeah. um that's you know that's what gets me out of bed in, in the morning is, is the uh is sort of trying to have a business that fuels 
organic transition. Well, and you know the the value of that for a multi generational property like you know like the the Nellis Ranch, the Klaus Ranch, whatever we're whatever we want to call it, Denmark Street Vineyards. Um, if they can't get a price out of those vineyards to sustain the family living on the property and keeping the property, you know, the inevitable thing happens is that they sell it off in chunks and it becomes, you know, freaking McMansions with, with little hobby vineyards in front of it. And that's worse than anything. But yeah. the only way that they're going to get those prices and sustain that is to farm this way. So you can right. sell the fruit this way. So you can sell the wine this way. Right. It's just like, uh, well, that's the it, idea. it's gotta be, it's gotta be exactly. McMansions. Now, if I see another like <laughs> these these houses that are like white with black trim and sort of like quasi modern, and they rip out an old vineyard and then they build the house and then they plant you know a quarter acre of bullshit vineyard and that's their like you know gentleman farmer action. I just you know that's it looks cool, sorta, but it's not actually like maintaining our agricultural heritage it's actually no, taken away from it nobody right? else can yeah. afford it either yeah. right and why doesn't holly get credit on the back of this one you know what they hadn't been married yet so uh <laughs> i was that's a 21 yeah. by the way and the 22 is, so the 22 is okay. going forward do have it that's so, so the 20 is this the, the 21 is the current release correct how yeah. long how long was it in those barrels uh about eight months seven sure. months so this yeah. was bottled like last summer I guess May, yeah, okay. yeah, late May. We don't know how many barrels. You had one new oak barrel, right? Yeah, and, and I then... actually take the new oak barrel for um, uh, after I ferment in it. Uh, I age a, a different wine in it. I'm trying to spread out um, okay. the new oak, you know, because right. um, used barrels are about twenty five, thirty bucks. Uh, new barrels are about a thousand bucks. So yeah, trying to spread the love. Totally yeah. <laughs> smart. Uh, keep the costs down. <laughs> Uh, one day, I think I would like to buy a new oak barrel and age it in it, just sort of like in, up the oak uh, impact a little bit, especially the, the Cooper I buy is, is very transparent oak. So I'm, um, but at the same time, it's just trying to balance the fact that I think natural wine buyers are sort of unfamiliar with the new oak flavors. And so, yeah. you know, you know, I want this wine to taste expensive, but not. Um, but, but also really to like break what's driving that in the natural wine market isn't. Stop, isn't like a necessarily the preference of the winemakers, but it's still this problem that people aren't paying the prices for natural wine yeah. that affords the winemakers right. to buy new barrels, right? Yeah, that's definitely part of it yeah. for sure. Um, and I, I think you know, I mean, it's barrels have to come from somewhere, right. so um, I would rather have, know the provenance of the barrel from the beginning, um, to hopefully 20 years from right. now when that's I really kick it good out. Point. There's natural wine going into barrels that people buy on the market that were not natural wines and made in those barrels beforehand. Exactly. Yeah. And that's, you know, I mean, that is what it is, but it's, you know, yeah, yeah if we're really like digging into the deep. Yeah. And I, that's why I try <laughs> to get too pedantic about what is and isn't natural wine. Cause you know, I work in the cellar that is um, a shared cellar. And right. so not everyone is going without yeast. And even if they were the 20 years of con conventional winemaking that had been in that building beforehand, um, you know, would have, meant the microbiome is is leans towards sort of cultured yeast right inherently so you know i know what i what i support what 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 businesses i buy from to um uh that go into the wine so you know if i were to ever use uh, a nutrient i would buy um an organic yeast nutrient you know right. um 
because those things have a carbon impact. And if I were to buy barrels, I'd buy barrels from the people I know. And, um, and you know, when I buy glass, I buy the lightest glass I can find um, and domestically produced right. too. And cause that's, you know, that's what's natural to me too, is, is keeping the carbon footprint down. Right. Super important. And is that a is that a part of I didn't realize is that a part of basically quote unquote natural winemaking is that you're not using you're not using um, yeast you're use it's only native yeast yeah the way uh, the way natural winemaking uh, I would define it um, is kind of a spectrum with on one hand being the zero zero um, which is no additions no removals mainly people are talking about sulfur in that um, realm mm -hmm. and then. <laughs> Excuse me. One more, one tick, sort of, um, to the other side of the spectrum from that is um, using sulfur, whether you're using um, sulfur at crush or sulfur at bottling. Um, you, you know that, you know that there's that sort of a spectrum on its own. I tend to just use sulfur uh, right at bottling if I can uh, avoid it, otherwise. And then um, sort of moving back along the spectrum, some sorts of filtration, uh, maybe a, a coarse filtration is more natural than a than a sterile filtration um but really the only thing the thing that matters the most Wait, is that the vineyard the, source is organic what's the difference between coarse filtration and um so uh basically the pore size of how of what the wine can fit so when you filter you're basically forcing wine through um a media uh, that has um, different pore sizes, so um, like a sieve or a exactly, exactly. Or whatever, and then yeah. as the sieve gets the holes in the sieve get smaller and smaller, um, microbes stop being able to fit through. So um, when I prepare a wine for sterile filtration uh, at the winery, um, we have to step it down. So there'll be like a 0.8 micron um, would be the first pass, and then a 0.45 micron would be the second pass, and then um, the next pass is on the truck which is a um, below that 0.3 or something like that. And that at that point, nothing can get through. Uh, no, no, um, no microbe can get through. But then what else can't get through? Um, is there like tiny little are, solid particles or is there tannins there, that aren't getting through? Is there... there is some, some of that for sure. It's, you know, you lose a little bit in every pa filter pass. Um, that's kind of why people make a big deal about being uh, unfined, unfiltered. Right. I think. Um, What's the difference there? Unfined. Uh, a fining would be something that you would add that would uh, add to a wine that would strip out. So like something like bentonite, which is a charged clay. I think bentonite has strong negative charges, so it attracts things with a strong positive charge, and then they fall out to the bottom of the wine. Then you rack off over the top of that. And so that would be a fining. A filtration is, like I just described, putting a wine through a small sieve. Yeah. Okay. And so, and, and for some people too, that's like they even think of filtration as being aggressive, like on the wine, like anything, yeah. any step in the process, like. Well, everything you do, I mean, you know, every racking is going to have an effect. Every time yeah. you move a wine, it's going to have an effect. Every time you filter a wine, yeah. I mean, you know, well, the filtration we use is a cellulose uh, material. So there's, you know, we rinse rinse it really good first, but there's still a little bit of paper flavor that comes through. Um, and you know, on a big lot of wine, that might not matter at all. On a yeah. small lot of wine, you might taste it more. Yeah. Um, but for me, what's really important too, is that the wine is alive when I put it to bottle and, um, not alive in the sort of the metaphorical sense that you talk about in a lot of conventional wine, which is an important and spiritual, uh, point. Like you're like, you taste the wine, like, oh, it's got life to it. You know, that's, that's a metaphorical, um, version. What, what I'm talking about is it's literally, it's alive. Like the, there's 
you know, living microbes in there. They may be dormant, but they're, they're in there. Uh, and you wouldn't have that if you sterile filtered or added, um, for example, Velcrin. So, and so how many people, like what percentage of commercial wines go do that actually? Oh, um, the vast majority. Vast sure. majority. Right? Yeah. Okay. Um, a lot of people will use a crossbow filter, which is very gentle. Um, but basically the wines come out, um, sterile at the other end. And right. You talk about gentle. How do you trash a wine doing that? Well, um, you know, you um, you can do things more oxidatively. So maybe you don't um, use a, uh, a neutral gas in the tank when you fill it. Um, so like when I fill a, a, wine, a, a tank, I'll fill it with neutral gas to push out the oxygen first. So you might, you know, have a leaky hose or, or, or something and that. And then you can oxidize the wine that way. Um, and I mean, there's a lot of ways you can trash a wine, but that's, you know, you try not to generally, but, uh, I think, I think trash is probably <laughs> yeah. not the right word. Uh, just yeah, think about the, you know, wine is not a homogenous liquid. It's a, you know, a very fragile suspension of different chemical compounds and acids and polyphenols and, and anthocyanins and all these things. And the more you move it around and mess with it, the more that fragile suspension is going to get damaged. And, you know, this is my, you know, I, I don't have any like of the academic experience that somebody <laughs> sitting to my right has. So I might say something <laughs> crazy, but um, in my opinion, that's the origin of bottle shock, right? Is that you've taken something uh, that's been, especially in a red wine, that's been, you know, sitting in a barrel really gently and quietly and motionlessly for 18 months and then you move it all around you put it into a big tank and then and then you smush it down into little bottles and you shoot and it out of a hose you shoot it out of a hose and into a, you know a filler and then it moves around and the bottles all get shaken up and you know and moving along the line and then you put it on a truck and a forklift and and it's going to take time for that suspension that solution to come back together in the bottle in its new vessel. And, you know, that's why when you get a bottle shipped to you and you lay it down in your, if you don't have a cellar in your closet or your wine fridge, whatever, for a few weeks, a few months to let it kind of like come back to equilibrium. But if you do that too hard in the winemaking process, especially towards bottling and filtering, you're never going to get that suspension to come back together. Makes sense, doesn't it? How's that? That's perfect. Great. All right. And, and, I just know, earned a degree. It's an associate's <laughs> degree, but it's a degree. It's a degree. <laughs> and there is science to back all that up too. You know, a wine will taste different because when you move it or bottle it, because it is, it is, does take time to come back together. Right. The chemistry uh, will come back eventually, but it, it's, it, it takes time. It takes time. Patience and, and gentleness. The more you can be, you know, and that's why there's like the, the premium on gravity flow wineries and all these things. I mean, part of that's maybe just marketing, but, um, you know, the more gentle, the less pump, the less pump runs and mm -hmm. filters that it goes through, the better chance you have of that all coming back together in the bottle. For sure. For sure. Let's, okay. pour, let's pour the next. Uh, okay. So now we got m mixed whites. Yeah. Uh, this is a white, white blend. White blend. Uh, it was meant to be a Chardonnay, um, but the Chardonnay fermentation did not agree with me. Um, it uh, is a risk that happens when you make natural wine is that it can uh, stick. Basically, uh, one of the reasons people add yeast is because you get more consistency. Um, 
And so in that in that case, it has uh, some uh, of the twenty one Fire Fuego blended in, just a touch to give it um, chocolate finish. Yeah, exactly. And what's the varietal here? Chardonnay okay. would be the, the main one. Will you explain for people what stuck means for those yeah. people that don't make wine? Yeah. So uh, when you're fermenting wine, uh, yeast are uh, consuming sugar and some other nutrients and uh, producing alcohol and CO two as a byproduct. Um, they can all, uh, sometimes other microbes can get in and, um, or take over. And in this case, I think it was a malolactic, uh, fermentation, uh, took over and, um, produces volatile acidity or VA. And when VA gets to a certain point, um, then the wine is just, uh, the, then the yeast cannot perform their, their duty and they can't eat sugar and make alcohol. So then it gets to a point it just stops. Yeah. And yeah, so you're exactly like, right. you're like, what the hell's going on? Right. Um, and so the wine would never really finish if, if exactly you didn't right. do something. Exactly right. And the VA might just keep going up and up and up. So this is a learning experience for me. Um, I White wines are harder to make naturally because a lot of the nutrients are in the skin. So uh, mm. this one was a white wine. I pressed it. I uh, went to tank. It was slowing and um, I needed the tank. Uh, for another client. So I said, I'm just going to barrel it down. That worked last year. I think it'll do the same. It was basically the same vineyard source. Um, and uh, then I tasted the wine three weeks later and it was awful. It was just high VA vinegar um, wine. And so, um, and it was still sweet too. So even if I wanted to like blend it because they had the high VA, it would have been still been sweet. So there's a risk of that fermenting in bottle again. Um, and this is why people don't make natural wine because this can happen. It does happen. A lot. You just, basically, you know, when you have less tools, yeah, in your right. tool belt to fix things right. when you have problems, right? Exactly. And so this wine, I did something that I would say is not natural. Was um, I did a reverse osmosis filtration, which filters out um, can filter out VA, um, and then um, after that, the wine fermented on its own, dry and, and is tasty, but. Um, because I wanted it to be a natural wine, I, uh, blended back some, uh, zero, zero wine into it. So is that, so is that how you restarted the fermentation? The fermentation or, started up on its own because the, the filtration, um, is actually smaller than the, the reverse osmosis doesn't take out yeast. It just takes out uh, really small uh, molecules, which are volatile acidity, ethanol and water. And then it filters. I think if I have this right, the, that, that filtration filtrate filters it again. So the VA goes somewhere. And then you can add the water, the water and, and, the and alcohol back. Alcohol back. Right. Um, so, um, you know, because this wine is um, from an organic vineyard site, it's uh, I didn't add any yeast or other nutrients. Um, I would call this like a, a zero one, like it was one removal, which is VA. Um, and this is kind of where you get into the nitty gritty of uh, what is and isn't a natural wine. Um, because I blended in a wine that is verifiably natural into a wine that was 99% natural. And so like, where do you kind of land on that? And I think there's definitely people who would look at me and look at this wine and be like, not natty. And um, I think that's fine, you know, but I'm trying to support the grower. I'm trying to um, make the wine. I'm trying to be here next year, afford to be here next year. Um, and I, and I think, you know, it's still alive too. And, and it's so, but no one was hurt in the yeah. making of this wine. And so <laughs> right. for me, the thing is, I, I hate when people are like environmentalists or like they want they want um, wind power. But then, 
you put up a bunch of propellers and then one bird flies into it one day and then they're like, oh my God, we need to get rid of those turbines because they killed a bird. Like you, you got to kind of send them down to Oakland. Let them smell the air by the uh, refinery. Uh, Jack, would you get into a little bit more about the difference between natural wines and organic wines? Yeah, sure. Um, organic wines are, um, they have to be certified by a certifying body uh, that the viticulture was uh, organic. And that means that, uh, you know, you're not spraying uh, synthetic herbicides. You're not um, using treated uh, treated wood for end post. And then you have to be careful about the sourcing of the um, seed for the cover crop. Generally has to be organic, if I have that right. Um, but there are as a whole list of uh non-synthetic pesticides you can spray there's um you can till all you want you can water all you want so that'd be kind of the difference um so but but i could buy those grapes and make them organic uh, and make them into natural wine if i wanted um the uh and then for the natural the winemaking the the winery has to be certified organic so that's like a certification process that i would have to go through at the winery um and then um all the materials that i add would have to be um certified organic but again you could add basically there's like a, an organic equivalent to almost everything that you would add that is not organic um it's just it costs more and uh is certified and you know probably is ultimately better for the environment but um you can filter you can do all the sort of things that you do in conventional wine excuse me but um <laughs> things out for you uh but uh and you then do, natural and then natural would be um from an organic grape source, not necessarily certified, fermented with uh, without added yeast uh, or nutrients, and then uh, unfiltered, and then unfined, and perhaps a little bit of sulfur at bottling. Um, the sort of there's there's no like hard fast rules for natural, which is kind of why it's bullshit. At the same time, it's also <laughs> why it's part of the sort of anarchist um, you know response to sort of the conventional wine scene. I mean. Okay. My biggest qualm with that, and I'll, uh, you know, we're friends, so I'm gonna call you that, Jack. Is that um, I believe wholeheartedly in the importance of certification, mm -hmm. whether it's regenerative organic certification or one of the several certifying bodies in organic. Just because there is then, um, you know, accountability. Uh, yeah. And, and, you know, I, I'm not going to like disparage many of the fine growers that you and I both buy from, but hmm. that aren't using, you know, paying for and going through the expensive process of certification. But um, in general, when you don't know the farmer and you don't know the winemaker and they say, oh, we use source organically farmed but not certified vineyards, that for me is always a red flag that, um, you know, there could be things going on there. And w farmers that, you know, protect their crop by and not using a tool to fix a problem that isn't an organic tool, but because they're not certified – they can get away with it and keep saying that they're farming quote unquote organically. Right. But not, so it not is necessarily nefarious. No, not necessarily nefarious. It's just like the reality of, especially on the farming side, if you are, have a problem and the most cost effective way of solving that problem is a synthetic fix. And, you know, it's the difference between, you know, m having a profitable year or having to sell the property, yeah, um, right. you know, those that that's like that that line is that narrow that that margin is that narrow. So if you have to do something, then you have to do it. 
are you then going to like sell it to a, a quote unquote natural winemaker and they're going to tell their customers and their distributors, yeah. you know, maybe there is that, that risk there. So it's a case where, you know, again, small winemaker, you know, small winery, small farmer, know your farmer, know your winemaker and, and you can trust it. But the, the biggest red flag and bullshit I see in the quote, the natural wine world on the larger scale is is going oh well, it doesn't have to be certified and well yeah if, if you want to be able to get away with things that make it so it's not certifiable then right. yeah it doesn't have to well, be well starting at the base of the process you're using something that's not right organic. Right. right no i think i think certification is the future um one of the reasons i really wanted to work with the bedrock community is because they are uh, moving towards organic certification right. um but uh, you know and then the other thing i do is i put the farmer's name on the back of the label which you know um has some farmers like that. Um, the ones I buy from tend right. to. I would think so. Yeah, some of them don't really care. Um, but Ross could give a fuck. Uh, yeah, and David too. But um, that's part of the charm um, is totally. getting to mess with them. Right, and bit. you know, and on the flip side, there is the piece of that. You know, someone like David who's starting a you know vineyard management business and leasing vineyards and and you know is a basically a one man operation. Um, the cost of certification and the cost of the paperwork and the time and the energy that it takes to do that is it is prohibitive. So yeah. you know, the, I I see both sides. And it but doesn't come back. Bedrock, the price doesn't come back. Right. So you know, if I could say organic, I still I would have to pay. You know, it would cost me another what you know two or three bucks a bottle, but um, maybe not Seriously? that much. Maybe not okay. that much, but maybe maybe another. You know, depends on the volume. Right? Yeah. And and uh, and then. Um, but I would probably wouldn't be able to sell it for more than I can already in general. And where is the Chardonnay from? Sonoma Mountain. So really uh, on the top just, of Sober Vista. Just down the road from Dos Lemones. Yeah. Okay. Up the road, up there, up the mountain. He's, he's higher. He's behind up? Lake, uh, above Lake Josephine. Okay. It's yeah. not that vineyard there along the side Lake of the road. Lake Josephine. Right? No, no, See, now there's a reference we have never heard on this podcast before. No. I don't know who Josephine was, but it's like kind of, you know, know. There's, there's not a, I should know this. Yeah. Phil would know this. And I anyone mean, it's, that. It's a, it's a. It's a reservoir. It's a man-made yeah. Yeah. in all the lakes in Sonoma. But uh. but there's 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 a, if you ever go on Google Earth because Paul did this to me one day where he just sat down and we looked on Sonoma Mountain and looked at all these cool properties that have you have no idea unless you're actually up there. Yeah, what the hell's going on up there? Yeah, you can't see none of these things you can see from the valley. No, yeah. I just heard the story about Dos Limones there. Uh, you know the whole story about how it was really created. They left the the Two Those trees. Two, these two lemon. Yeah. So I actually, uh, I think he put it on social media. I got to get it from Ross. So Ross Kennard, who we're going to taste the Primitivo next. So yeah. a, this is a good segue. Um, essentially was born in a house overlooking that property. The vineyard, I think he was born in 82. So there was vineyard then. But in the interim, when his parents lived there before he was born, was when the citrus grove died and we froze to death 72 72 yep and then so they so there's a photo that he has from his house down to this vineyard block where there's the two lemon trees that survived the freeze that are still there and then where the vineyard was planted around them so i gotta get that photo i'll put it out on on social media somewhere by the time this course yeah uh so so let's try the primitiva then yeah um, it's the same same primitiva that goes into a, a nice Candrose product that I've heard of ah. before. Oh, really? Oh, look at the color on this. This is going to be. Does sixteen six hundred do canned products? 
<laughs> just like Bart does Shannon Blanc. Absolutely. <laughs> but have you been in Oprah's magazine? I have not been in Oprah's oh, magazine. Oh, man. Get no love from the Fairmont Psalms, I guess. <laughs> what's weird? You know what's weird is to see red wine poured out of a clear bottle. Yeah, yeah. Right. that was a conscious choice uh, in the beginning because I just you know wanted to uh, convey transparency. Yeah, and um, stick out a bit. I'm actually gonna put this one in uh, in a dark bottle going forward in a natural cork because it's huh. just so damn good and needs to uh, and can age. So the only, the only other. Go ahead. Place I know that makes uh, Primitivo is uh, Joey Bensinger. Well, I mean, a lot of people are probably just calling it Zinfandel, or they're calling it Primitivo because they don't want to sell Zinfandel. But yeah. uh, this the vineyard was originally planted, I believe, by a member of the Cundy family. That's what I hear too. Um, and it was probably going into some uh, some Cundy winery product in the 90s <laughs> gotta be yeah. careful with that word some cuvee <laughs> some candy candy with a d um <laughs> get me hey they own a beautiful mom <laughs> and so whoever planted it made the sort of wild card decision to um direct uh planets yeah, so no no un- grafting un-rooted. yeah which is um for those who don't know uh most vines are grafted onto rootstock that is an, of american origin uh right. so it can survive phylloxera uh, this one is on its own roots, um, most of the vineyard, and uh, and dry farmed as well, which I think sort of survi- uh, explains how it can survive. Um, you think that the not getting watered is why it like doesn't feed the flocks? Yeah, phylloxera can really only survive in the first six or so inches of soil, as I understand it, and okay. the dry farming forces grapes to grow deeper. Huh. Um, and so that I think ties into it. Um, we started out no tilling, or Ross started out no tilling this site. Um, uh, I fucked that all up. Yeah, well, uh, the uh, <laughs> the yields dropped precipitously. Yeah. Well, in dry uh, and, years. you know, there's a there's a lot of love thrown no tilling no tills way, and there's a lot of love thrown dry farming's way. Um, combining those two things is difficult. Yeah, you know, dry farming thrives when you can till the soil and break it up and help the moisture get down there a little. I don't, I don't know exactly the science of why tilling and dry farming go well together but it's it's tough to dry farm and no-till yeah the reason my uncle dry farms i think for the most part is you you create this what's called a dust mulch right so you you uh you basically break the um whatever is would be drying up the soil moisture you sort of uh, create a create a cap on that all right um and in so doing you're also eliminating um the other uh uh, weeds or plants that would be growing underneath, and sucking it. up the water. Exactly. Right. Um, hmm. So, um, yeah, own rooted primitivo that's dry farmed, sort of all ties into like you know. What year is this, Jack? This is a 2021. Um, this was just bought. When was this bottle? Um, in in May, along with the fume. Um, and we had you know really low yields in 2021. Um. So that's it's more concentrated, and I switched to aging in in punchin, so um, sort of a, a slower and deeper wine, I think, slower to age. That's a great version of this variety. It's the density, the the freshness, yeah, um, the combination of those those two things, which I I love. Cheers. Yeah. Mm. Great color. I know people always ask me if I got it really hot or something. It always just has color on its yeah. own, and you know the the fermentation is actually pretty cool and uh, relatively slow. Well, and and that's one of the sort of distinctions between so you know good. Primitivo and Zinfandel are genetically the same thing, right? But Zinfandel has 
and especially from vineyards not like this one has bigger clusters, mm-hmm. maybe more uh, variability in the color of you know in yeah. each individual bunch. This vineyard has these tiny little like hand grenade versions of Zinfandel of Primitivo clusters. And I don't know a ton about Primitivo and other sites, so I, I can't speak to those ones. But you don't, it, you know, you go out there and it doesn't look or taste like Zinfandel uh, mm. in the vineyard. And this does, you know, this has similarities to what I would, you know, think of Zinfandel. But you know, the 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 tension, the texture um, is definitely the acidity is definitely, you know, and another version of it there's like savory herbs in this mm-hmm. too which is so fucking great well that's what i was I'm gonna sure ask like you as times. a sommelier yeah. what am i tasting different why do i i love this i, lo- I love the fuego i love the sav blanc the shard it's all good but this hits my palate more i'm getting more flavors out of it what is it that's doing that i'm gonna let jack speak to that i mean okay for someone who drinks traditional wine most of the time I can see the attraction to wines with, and we'll use that word again, tension. It's something about freshness. But I also like drinking when when grapes come in and you taste them when they're first pressed, like before they've even gone through fermentation. Like I like drinking that too. Mm-hmm. So if you just love the taste of grapes, you're getting it sort of in a different iteration here. You're not getting it where it's extended aging, whether it be oak, um, uh, uh, there's just this freshness at this um it's almost like you named the winery after it. oh might have been <laughs> there is <laughs> the first wine i made was this one in 19 this and a rosé from the same site um the you know the sort of protocol for me is to work the cap real hard when it's um has not f- started fermenting mm. Um, trying to pre-fermentation master. Yeah, aqueous. Yeah. So the wine doesn't have or uh, the the mixture is non-alcoholic. Right. So the extraction is uh, to me more friendly. And then I actually press it before dryness. Um, so I'm trying to limit like extraction. How, how far before dryness? Five bricks. So yeah. about three quarters uh, of the way through. So is it just the the skin contact that I'm tasting that's so different? I mean, I mean that you know the the concept of like the pre-fermentation extraction. Um, is super important and and um that's that's the basis of like the Audutet wines okay. mm-hmm. are really about that you know that cold soak and um that that aqueous aqueous uh, you know non-alcoholic extraction mm-hmm. um you get all this flavor and all this uh density without um the roughness without the same like tannic extraction um and I think that's kind of what's happening there. Okay. Um, and definitely you get all that good skin flavor. I'm yeah. in love with this, man. Yeah. Cool. It's beautiful. Yeah. I think like in like yeah, John f- went from in this episode drinking wine that he bought at Rite Aid to drinking natural <laughs> wine. And, and full circle. going through of- Bordeaux. Yeah. <laughs> um, but almost and almost like different. It's a, you're on a different flavor um, scale sometimes with some of these wines where it's just that it's a little higher toned. But almost like a like yogurt. Yogurt you can get commercial yogurt. You can get the yogurt that goes all the way from you know, typical yogurt to to stuff that is using goat's milk or stuff that tastes like almost like cheesecake. Like and that goes through a fermentation process too. There's like fresh yogurt and then there's stuff that's 
aged for a while. Are There's, you making the yogurt in the cork basket yet? Um, my mom and I are on a, we, we have a plan. You're on a hunt? Okay. Uh, <laughs> got a plan, baby. We got a plan. Yeah. When will we see some? Come on. Um, it's not going to travel. It'll explode in the car between here and Runner Park. <laughs> Next couple months, I would assume. My Excellent. mom just got back from Hawaii, so she's... Um, oh, sorry about that. Where was she? What island? Uh, Maui. Everybody's over there right now. It's just silly. Everybody but us. Uh, yeah. <laughs> On the other hand, you know, I've, I used to go there a lot. Diving. That yeah. was fun. Uh-oh. We got a new wine. There's one more wine. Okay. <laughs> to close this out and, and to talk and, about. And Jack, just talking about the, do you recommend with the red serving it at this temperature? Yeah, it's a little chill, yeah. Yeah, um, no, that, and I love it like that's this. That's kind of, uh, well, yeah, that's the idea. And when I started yeah. making the wine, um, chillable reds were really in. So I tried to make it kind of, that was kind of the style I was going for. I would say this is you could serve it cellar temp or a little below, but I, I'm not like a, not like a white wine. Um, it's yeah. I wanted to make wine that was like party wine, and then this vineyard just keeps telling me it's a it's a serious site. So oh yeah, you hit the nail, man. Thanks, man. absolutely. I think John, if you did a tasting where everything was same temp and you had two conventionally or whatever made wines, and then this wine next, you'd have a different experience than you're having right now. Okay. If you tasted them in succession. That, right, it would. And not that you wouldn't think it was good, but you would be like, oh, this wine is really different from those other two wines. Um, but right now you're just enjoying it as a fucking great wine that yeah. someone across from you made. It's like a red rosé to me. It's mm -hmm. beautiful. Love it. Mm -hmm. like it. Okay, so one more wine here on the list, guys. Um, you won't believe it. It's mostly Chardonnay. Uh, Wait a minute. Yeah, it's red. It doesn't color. look <laughs> um, like Chardonnay. So, the, um, you know, I was talking earlier about this uh, fermentation that went awry. Um, and oh. uh, that was a Chardonnay. I had, um, you know, I was freaking out. How do you fix a wine when you don't want to have, uh, when you're trying to make natural wine? And, um, you know, how do you fix it? And, you know, the conventional thing to do is what I did with the Chardonnay, which is to uh, reverse osmosis, filter it, uh, remove VA. And then blend it back. Uh, and that wine is great. I'm happy with that wine. But I also wanted to, um, other people are saying, and Isabel Gassier being one of them, and uh, other people on the natural wine uh, side are saying, just put it over some skins. Put it over some skins. So this is actually Chardonnay that was stuck, and I pumped it over the Primitivo skins. So Chardonnay. After you, after you press it off. Yeah, yeah I and, and notably, you press it off not dry. So there's still some fermentation that right. happened in this. Yeah, skins. exactly right. I didn't even. I actually didn't even press it. I just drained and had the skins still in the tank. And, uh, and the why Chardonnay the interesting there. closure? Um, just because, a bottle cap. Uh, yeah, <laughs> because it's a pet nat. So it's, oh, okay. There you go. Sparkling wine. Um, so this is um, what uh, is called a brutal, which is a um, not brutal, a brutal. Brutal. It comes from this sort of French uh, or sorry Spanish. Um, tradition uh, or a collective of winemakers who all were kind of making experimental wine on the natural and they were just calling it Brutal. So it's kind of a, what is a, interestingly an open source label. So anyone can make a Brutal um, as long as you follow the rules, which are that it has to be zero, zero. It has to be, I think, under 50 cases and it has to be um, it has to be an experiment, sort of a one off. That's how I interpret oh. it. Yes, I'm actually stoked to. This is the first time we've talked about the brutal concept on the show. And I'm I'm yeah. happy to have a Jack here who gets it uh, more than I do. 
Uh, but to have the chance, you know, it is a cool thing. And you'll see a version of this label on wines that come from all over the world. It, you know, came out of Spain um, and some like really, you know, talk about anarchist winemakers, um, you know, to the definition of that. Um, and look at but, the But, you know, Uncle, Uncle Tony's made a Brutal in the mm-hmm. past. Um, you know, anybody who... And again, it, you know, it could be something that you're not necessarily known as a natural brand, but you do something that fits the criteria that Jack just laid out. You know, the zero zero, the experimental. I swear the, that the there is production. some larger producers that have done Brutal. It wouldn't. It wouldn't surprise me. I think. The I think even are, like Rotor. Or, uh, that would surprise me, but I would be. Uh, maybe you know, it's. I don't know. I don't know. That'd be cool. I mean, if there was a winemaker in a in that, if they did something in that cellar that was experimental and sort of one off, like zero dosage, like you know, they, there could, was something they could do something. That, it's. I think I bought some of these wines before. Actually, cool. I, I mean, the, imagine that they would show up if somebody in Sonoma County was doing something like that from a larger house. They would probably, you know, once it maxed out, you know, who on their list would buy it, that they would, you know clear them with you know in places that you would be buying wine in sonoma county whether that's oliver's or mm-hmm. or bottle barn or you know grocery outlet um it, it could that could definitely be a place that these would get you know cleared so a little more about the wine um so the chardonnay was stuck had high va had sugar um i wanted to fix it and so it had um put it over the primitivo skins um and the the skins had a really high, you know, healthy yeast population, um, and some nutrients that probably were left in the skins, uh, and it just the wine went dry. I was shocked. And um, something I learned that year too is that yeast can actually consume VA. Volatile acidity was dropped. Well, so you oh, that wasn't known to you, and that didn't seem like something that was possible that yeast would consume I mean, VA. I, I think I, I maybe had heard it, but I just. I don't know. It never sort of had been relevant before. Um, usually the v- VAs are kept in check. Um, and in this case, the VA was already high and the yeast uh, did their work and uh, the wine went dry. And and then it was dry and I wanted, I felt like I needed sort of a little oomph and um, nothing is, there's nothing wrong. I mean, everyone likes sparkling wine. So um, I actually added back some apple juice, 5% of uh, wow, that's, that's what cider. I'm tasting. Yeah. Uh, and then bottled it um, as a pet nat, which is um, a wine that'll be fizzy. Now this is the only one with anything on the bottom. It's got a little yeast. Yeah, there's. A, I mean, there's. You know, if you look closely, these these wines do all have a little yeah, bit of sediment. They all, they all do. But okay. um, but yeah. this one has the most because what I learned is that um, is that apple juices a throw a lot of, of sediment. Yeah. Okay. Um, and um, and I didn't disgorge this wine, so. Um, right. it's definitely, um, kind of gooey, uh, and it's got a little top. funk to it yeah. too. And it's got some, fun. I mean, the VA is not yeah. all gone. There's plenty of yeah. VA there, but it's uh, in check. And I think the appleness also sort of like, mm. sort of lends that, you know, as you know that what? same kind of expression. I'm ju- right now. I'm just imagining having, um, a little the cider yeah, from yeah, yeah, yeah. Tony and Mike the Baker, mm-hmm. oh, yeah. and getting some of those same flavors. Yeah, totally. Yeah. That kind of that that finish where it's not like unpleasant bitterness, but it's there's a little no, it's bitter. Like, it's like, like an bruised apple. apple. It's yeah, like, totally. yeah. So you know, this is not a wine I could ever make again. I don't think, but um, hopefully you never have to. Hopefully I never have to. Yeah. 
But people like sparkling red. <laughs> I think that's a fun category of wine to make. But it's fun it's as fun. hell. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Exactly. And at 50 cases, you know, it's yeah. it's enough of a... And a, you even put on their experimental series. Yeah. So maybe that'll be another one to follow. Who knows? It'll be different, though. <laughs> I like the concept of experimental. Yeah. It's just fun to make wine without the rules. Well, that, it's anti-constellation. Well, I, I would definitely consider myself <laughs> yeah. to be that. Other than, you know, when we had several bottles of 19 crimes, so is this podcast. <laughs> well, John, it's nice when you when you actually, someone who knows what they're doing can experiment right. and, and yeah, know what to do if things go absolutely wrong. I, I mean, you know, if, if the Jack Spore sort of uh, career history that we went through teaches you anything, it's, you know, know yeah. the rules He's seen to it. break the rules. Right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's definitely my philosophy. I made a lot of wine differently than this in my career, and no. I still do, and I still learn every vintage. But um, we well, should be really yeah. Proud. We should actually we'll really give proud. Jack credit on things that a lot of our listeners love, which is the Audutet project. Right. Um, he's uh, instrumental and pivotal in helping execute uh, both the, the protocols that we inherited uh, from Philippe Combi and what how Isabel. Um, tweaks them every year to keep us on our toes um and now at least she types them up instead of writes them out in that french catholic school longhand that was impossible (laughs) for us california public school kids to freaking read oh my god (laughs) we didn't learn cursive in california john and i get i get the feeling from isabel that she kind of leans in a little bit to natural wine here in california and is kind of intrigued by some of the wines that people like martha stoneman are making and um she kind of is excited by something i don't know if we're like breaking news that we shouldn't break but she's got a is it a zero zero something that's you know in the the natty wine category that she's now making you know under the gossier uh umbrella back home she's like certainly uh you know somebody who's as classically trained as they come uh, who you know came to California and absorbed a little of our natty Kool Aid. And her uh, dad, you know, to his credit, is is been trending towards the natural winemaker for a long time. I don't think he would identify that way himself that way, but sort of just more and more hands off as he you know has more and more knowledge about what the wine's going to do and how to make it and what he doesn't need to actually add. Um, and then they're all organic, so they're kind of well set up for that. Yeah, right. hmm. I mean, I think that there's a lesson in all of this for me it's that um you know if it if it is in the vineyard and the farming is right and you trust the fruit um you can take the the lessons and the ethos of natural wine and put it into any category and Mm. it's going to make the wine better um you know you can still rely on some of the technology and and tools that you know or maybe uh you know, looked down upon or, or shunned from the natural wine community, um, but take the sort of general lesson and apply it to all of us making better wine, no matter what your, you know, sort of dogmatic or, or not there, not dogmatic yeah. beliefs are. Exactly. I think there's a lot of room for, um, you know, uh, there's a lot to be learned from natural wine, even if you don't think that you want to make an orange wine is, you know, limiting sulfur is, does make a better wine i think you know if you're if you bottle with 150 parts total it's you know you're going to taste that and if you add a whole bunch of acid uh to a wine 
then and the ph is not something that would ever be found in nature with that sort of ripeness it's like you're gonna that 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 shows through and and sort of the savvy consumer can, can kind of taste that i think even if they're not necessarily knowing why it's offending their palates exactly that's why it's exactly right but if you showed up to a party with two bottles of every one of these wines that we had today everyone would be happy and having a good time. And definitely, you know, sort of my, my aesthetic is uh, to make wine, natural wine for normal people. You yeah. don't have to be a real uh, natty wine fiend to like right. the Fresco uh, lineup. And, um, and, and you know, I, what I really want to be is a bridge uh, to the consumer. So, you know, uh, people who don't think natural wine is that good, you know, try my wine and then maybe, maybe I might change your mind a bit. I like the tagline. Natural, natural wine, wine for, for normal yeah. people. Yeah. That should be a t-shirt. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, uh, not being a normal person, it's kind of hard to right. claim that. <laughs> yeah, there's, and that's that's not your fault, Jack. There's, yeah, there's several fault. generations of Buckland that <laughs> have led to that. Yeah, and your labels only have two colors, which if you you are the bridge between conventional and natural, because if you were in the natural wine movement, your labels would be almost cartoonish. Yep, and, in general. And yeah, have, or maybe like a kid's drawing. Yeah, <laughs> maybe it's all the, I have any drawings. I can put we, haven't, we haven't gotten there yet. Her, her art's coming along. Well, cool. Yeah, well, we'll, we'll get you there. Oh, man. Jack, pull something off the fridge one day. And just <laughs> use it as your label. Tell Sam. We'll set her up with a with a you know little art station in the winery one day when we're in there tasting. <laughs> Perfect. And see what she comes up oh, with. Oh, man. She tastes Althea's all the wine blend. Too. Althea's blend. Ooh, it's already sold. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> Start selling futures now. <laughs> Got college to pay for. Got preschool to pay for. Fuck. <laughs> oh, man. Right. Well, tell us, uh, Jack, where we can get your wines, man. Follow. You know, you're you're a great follow of Vino Graffito, but there's also a uh, yeah, fresh, Fresco. Fresh.co.wine is my Instagram handle. And that's F-R-E-S. Yeah. Um, dot C-O. F-R-E-S dot C-O. Um, and I wish I had that URL, but it's taken. So fresh.wine, www.fresh.wine is uh, the best way to buy from me. Um, I'm available locally uh, here in Sonoma, um, in SF, in LA, also in New York, and um, around Ohio, oddly, as well. Huh. Um, shout out Ohio. Shout out uh, Voyager Beverage. All right. um, but um, the best thing is to... Um, get in contact via my website and um i do Fresh apologize for the state of the website we're getting a new one it's gonna be way better <laughs> you know where joel a- does seemingly very very well is st louis for some reason it's a great wine market yeah and yeah. you know there's places that aren't the the you know tony urbane major markets of you know the new york the la there's people who like to drink good wine in those places yeah. and they like it when you go there and give them love because you know, they're sick of seeing on Instagram another winemaker walking around and drinking fancy wine in New York. Not that we don't love to do that, but going to those mm. places and it's, and it's um, well, Joel mm. seems like he's there all the time doing these huge Zen dinners. Well, he must have a good he must have a good rep there too. He's a freaking legend. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I he can go anywhere he wants. Yeah, totally. So is Jack. Jack, Jack, how much do you make of each one of these wines? Um, 100 to 150 cases of everything. The Fire Fuego is um, a bit bigger production, more like 250 okay. cases. And is there anything we didn't taste today? Oh, there's several, yeah. Uh, like, I make a rosé that's really, really banging. Um, from? From the Primitivo. So trying to sort of, uh, you know, take the old California concepts uh, and turn them back on their heads. So White Zin, uh, Fumé Blanc, 
Um, I love the Fume Blanc yeah, concept too. Exactly. Um, now you also brought some very large test tubes. Oh, that's uh, <laughs> that's some of the wine that uh, Sam and I that's, make together. That's work. You yeah. also that's have work. some that's... very large testes. We're going in a <laughs> different yeah. direction there, John. That's why he walks. That's why he walks funny. <laughs> Big cojones. <laughs> no, I just I I see him over there, and it's like I saw you guys chasing him. So. Oh, that's the 2021 Zin. Rossi for, Ranch. Uh, yeah, Rossi Ranch. Tasting, bang. tasting those, those five test tubes, and we're going to make that's each represent one of the barrels, and we only want to make 100 cases, so we're deciding which barrel gets yeah. the axe. Is this Sonoma County Zin? This is Rossi Ranch. Okay. Rossi Ranch. Rossi All right. Ranch. Yeah. And yeah. so that's you know how I feel. The rest, most of my time is is uh, on the wines that Sam makes. His most important clients, Uncle Will makes. <laughs> um, we have about twenty different clients over there at Magnolia, um, all making wine together. Some natural, some not. A lot of people are just sort of somewhere on the spectrum though, between organic growing and um, low intervention winemaking. Yeah, it's a great it's a great wine community that you're that you're uh, fomenting there. Totally. So. It's it's fun to be, um, you know, work with my friends and, and make cool wine. And, yeah, um, you're doing a good job of it. Make delicious wine. Yeah. I mean, yeah, sir. absolutely. At the end of the day, that's kind of what counts for me. Is well, thanks for being such a great guest today. Love Interesting here, conversation. So, Brian? Bart Bart was gonna text me um, shout outs, but he didn't. So <laughs> well, he's clearly busy. We only have one anyway because April um, Phil's Day. The only thing that matters. Speaking of Rossi Ranch, right? Right. Um, we're having the, how do you want to comprehensive, a comprehensive a, tasting a seminar. Of, of Rossi ranch by a number of different winemakers, a number of wineries. different wineries, uh, um, rosemary cake bread, Tony Biaggi, Frederick Johansson, Mayan Chachki, Danielle Artie Johnson, Lengua, Artie Johnson, Bart Hansen, Bart Hansen, Alejandro Zaman, um, uh, and now featuring yours truly and our good friend MJ Towler as you the moderator excellent because it we were gonna have elaine chucking hawk waka waka brown uh she the last minute couldn't do it so to replace elaine you need at least two people for sure um so it'll be actually it'll be me uh mj and friend of winery 16600 and star of film and screen uh jamie kaler ah there you go so, uh, he sure and, does a good job of posting doesn't he it'll be it's gonna be you know look this isn't it's going to be a very serious tasting of these wines, yeah. but it's not going to be critical breakdown. It's not going to be super technical. What we want to do is celebrate this amazing place, Rossi Ranch, uh, and we want to celebrate the importance of farming the way that we do, organic, you know, regenerative, high-intensity farming. Um, and it's going to show through these 12 wines. We're gonna, It's mostly going to be Grenache, and we're going to see same Grenache from the same vineyard, Interpreted in different ways with different styles. Totally. And we're going to see the through lines fun, of what I the think. terroir is yeah. and, and what the farming brings. So. Oh, and by the way, you're going to have lunch. Uh, and the lunch is going to be, <laughs> you know, the, the Chef Jared Reeves at the Fairmont and a whole bunch of rosé from different places all farmed by Enterprise. Free-flowing rosé at yeah. lunch. Yep. And I just got an order for posters for you. Uh, while we were doing oh, good. The, while we were doing the I uh, thought podcast. we were taking those to Staples but I'd rather keep, keep it local <laughs> <laughs> so you'll see those around town soon right, well John you better get out of here get get we, need those, we need those last week <laughs> well, see that's the thing it's always rush isn't it it's all, that's right. all good I can start this afternoon man. no problem uh, anything else from you Brian 
No, no, that's All it. Right. We want to, we want to make sure that people come and and yeah. check out this station. Check out Eventbrite. Um, I mean, it's it's going to be epic, and it's a little preview is probably what's going to be going on next year, right? Um, cool. At HDR. So, um, and I think we should be doing more of this stuff in Sonoma. HDR, like, Hospice Duderone. Oh, thank you, thank you. Um, yeah. You know, we live in wine country. Duh. And it it it's puzzling to me that we don't do more wine events around here um throughout the year like this right. is like an educationally focused but right. celebratory right and and we take wine seriously and we don't take life as seriously so that'll be that's exactly how we're going to do this event it's going to totally. be i mean come learn about rossi ranch this is um, going to be an epic tasting with an incredible lineup of people but we're going to have a good right. time and and Let's just sweeten the deal because this is coming out next week, so I can talk about it. Hopefully, we've sold, you know, keep selling the tickets. Uh, if you want to come and make a weekend of it, we're going to have an old school vinyl Sunday at the Tasting House the oh, day yeah. after. So it's April 1st, right. April Phil's Day at the Fairmont, and then make a weekend, come hang out, eat some tacos, listen to some bluegrass, and have a good old time Who's at playing? the Tasting House. It's, it's some buddies of mine, banjo, guitar, duo, bluegrass duo. Um, and the I don't know if they perform, tacos a, in perform a ton, but yeah. um, it's gonna be fun and great tacos. Yeah, and uh, you know, Vinyl Sunday the way it should be. Absolutely, you that's know, that's really become a big brand. Actually, it's uh, it's Sunday. you know took on a life of its own, yeah. especially with the the Denmark Vineyard uh, Denmark barn shows. So we're keeping like it a little simple. Going to be here? Or I don't. We're not going to. We're, we're, we're doing tacos. We're doing tacos. Veggie tacos. Best tacos. Um, and and some. Curry. We eat these tacos every Friday. Every Friday. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> we're very familiar Always. with Why the tacos. Not? Why not? We have done extensive experimentation with the taco situation a lot of in Sonoma. Oh, yeah. Serious people, Jay. These are the best tacos well, in Sonoma. Well, you know, you talk about serious and having fun both. Uh, yeah. You know, the gravitas comes from the winemakers. Right. The wine and the interaction is what's fun. Yeah. Totally. It's yep. perfect. Totally. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. And thank you, Jack, for being on. Yeah. Pleasure. Thank you, nice Jack. Job, this Jack. is much appreciated. Love being here, guys. Jack, right. you can come back every week. Hell yeah. <laughs> All right. <laughs> we'll talk to you every uh, every Friday. Subscribe, yeah, review, tell absolutely. your friends only if they're cool. <laughs> That's perfect, Sam. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks for listening. See you next week. Bye.